Good evening. You're listening to Women's Issues, Women's Voices here on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. I'm your host tonight, Sarah Catlin, and our and our guest is Stacy G. Holland, and she's going to introduce herself. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first, thank you so much for having me this evening. It's my pleasure to be here and share more about what's going on with me and Mecca and Harris State University. So my name is Dr. Stacy G. Hollins, and I have the honor of serving as the Dean of the Anheuser-Busch School of Business at the Harris State University. I don't know what I would want people to know. I'm sure we'll talk further, but um, people should know that I'm, I love people. So I'm very passionate about playing a small part in making the region a better place through the people that I serve. Um, I consider myself a servant and I just get great joy from seeing growth in people and seeing light bulbs come on. I guess I'll end by saying I work hard, extremely hard, but I also play hard. So that's uh, a little bit about me. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you know, that's, it sounds like you've got the heart of a servant and maybe even a little bit the heart of a teacher, because that's often what teachers will say is they like to see those aha moments as their students, you know, make yeah. those connections and what they're trying to teach. Tell me a little bit about the work that you do. Well, um, as the Dean of the School of Business, my, my major goal is to educate and support scholars. And that's through classes, that's through experiential learning experiences outside of the classroom, uh, competitions. We really have fun in the School of Business. So you mentioned that teacher uh, mindset, and I've had it because I have taught at St. Louis Community College for 11 years. And I was the assistant dean at Maryville University for four years while teaching as well. And I learned that students learn so much outside of the classroom that that's just as, as important to me as what they learn in the classroom too. So I really support scholars. I support faculty and I serve the community through programming uh, through the School of Business. And I also am in the process of building the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. That was going to be my next question. I want to hear more about that. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So that'll be on the corner of Compton and Olive. It's really an extension of campus. And it's just a hub for entrepreneurship. And so it's slated to open in August of this year. Yeah. So that's coming right up. Oh my gosh. It's right around August. the corner. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. We're doing a lot of planning and getting the building ready. It's an old building and has some great history. So some of the pictures will even be in the building from oh, cool. historical. Yeah. yeah. But those old buildings have their challenges when you go to try to build walls or connect things together. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. We've yep. had, so I've learned a lot. I'll say It's that. been an adventure, I bet. <laughs> um, yes. People who listen to this show regularly might remember been about six months ago, I interviewed an author of a book called The New Builders. Mm -hmm. um, she was a journalist and the whole book was about how it was about entrepreneurship and how the up and comers, the, the new entrepreneurs are more than you would expect. They're black, they're brown, they're women, they're immigrants, like first generation immigrants. Um, and, you know, the whole book was kind of trying to dispel these different myths that you know, business is not really driven by these huge conglomerates like Apple or Amazon. There's a lot that goes on at the individual like business owner level or that one person who has an idea. And so talking about, you know, they aren't the color that you might expect. They're often black and brown. They're not the gender you might expect. They're often female. And also just what a, um, what an engine that is for our economy that gets overlooked. You know, you think that what Amazon or again, Apple or those huge conglomerates do really drives our economy, but it, the impact that those small entrepreneurs have on um, the American economy is just immeasurable. 
It and is. How, and and the people business. they employ. Mm-hmm. Yes. Small yeah. business, but make a big impact. And even now, um, during COVID, Black and Brown entrepreneurs are the fastest growing right now, um, where we have not done well in the past is um, getting past the startup stage. So only about 4% of Black-owned businesses get past, in the U.S., survive Mm -hmm. the past, you know, the startup stage. Um, And the other thing is scaling up. You know, in our community, we love doing what it is that we do. So we're that great cook or that chef or, um, and so we have a restaurant and we're good at the cooking, but we're not, may, may not be good at marketing or accounting. And all of those things are required for you to sustain your business and to grow yeah. and to scale your business. So certainly if you wanted um, to open multiple locations or become exactly. franchised or something, that's a different skill set. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So while we do um, start businesses and have a lot of businesses, that that's what we're looking forward to supporting is the growth and the sustainability of these businesses. That's great. What a lovely service for your community. Um, Yeah. Can you talk to me about um, NECA? So the CIE is actually the building that I just talked about on the corner of Mecca, uh, uh, on the corner of Compton and Olive. And Mm -hmm. Mecca is a program that, that is working Actually, it started already before the building's even built. And MECA stands for the Minority Entrepreneurship Collaborative Center for Advancement. It is really designed to to meet the needs of underrepresented, underfunded uh, entrepreneurs. So it's really going to be a hub for Black and Brown entrepreneurs to do just what we talked about in that scale or start new businesses, um, learn about skills that they need. Um, and things like that. So I just, I, it's just a program, not just, it's a program out of the CIE that be, focuses solely on Black and Brown entrepreneurs. So one of many programs, I'm sure, that will run out of that center. Is that largely, is it in the form of like evening classes or how does that work? Good question. Good question. So Mecca actually originated with me on my couch one weekend, I, <laughs> which amazes me because now it's on the floor of Congress at being asked for funding. So I'm just so very excited about this vision coming to life. But it really started with our scholars and the entrepreneurship program on campus and then realizing that our scholars are an extension of our community in the St. Louis region. So um, Mecca will focus on um, both scholars and the community and making sure their needs are met. I might have missed your question. Re- remind me well, what you asked. I just, I'm just sort of thinking, so the in my mind, what I was thinking about when I was asking that question is we broadcast on our air signal through the, through the air to mid-Missouri, which goes almost to St. Louis, and then lots of people listen online all over the world. But I was just mm-hmm. thinking if there are listeners here in the mid-Missouri area, I was trying to put together if they, it's not that far to St. Louis, especially if they're on that side of our listening mm-hmm. area. It's just, it'd be a short drive, 20 minutes even. So I'm just wondering um, if those people might be able to access your services directly. It's kind of Absolutely. What Absolutely. And we also, of course, due to COVID, have learned how to provide quite a few services virtually, just like you and I are doing today. Um, There will definitely be services provided beyond the region. Our focus really is um, the St. Louis region, but we have no doubt that the need is great and that we'll be able to make an impact even beyond the region. Yeah. And then just to pick up a thread that I dropped from what you were saying before about the 4%, only 4% make it past the startup stage. In that book, The New Builders, one of the last points they made and the end of it was talking about funding and how you know racism and, and systemic racism kind of blocks funding. 
And then the importance of, of like um, small independent banks and credit unions, yeah. because they have the ability to kind of uh, know how know your you personally and can take like take a risk. It's not really a risk because they know you, but they can get away from these formulas, these one size fits all formulas that come down from on high in the corporate office in some other state, and they can have a relationship yeah. with you and really support you. And also, as I recall, the other point of it was a lot of times a small business owner might only need $2,500 and huge lenders, it's not even worth their time to fill out the paperwork for a $2,500 loan. They don't have the time, but these smaller lenders have the time and are interested in that $2,500 loan and getting that. So true. And and they're interested in making the, making sure the community is successful in this space. It's yeah. so true. And we are, we're really focusing on community bank support and capital investment for our um, entrepreneurs and making sure that they know where the hub is so that they can invest directly into that ecosystem. Of yep. course, they already do it for, like you said, the big companies and, mm-hmm. um, and the traditional folks that they always fund. But to know that this and this building is where we can find a lot of underserved and undercapitalized uh, businesses that to bring the funding to that space. And, mm-hmm. and, and if that means a pot of money for that, for us to be able to manage and give out to those entrepreneurs based upon their performances, then, then that should be how it, how it is. But we do, we really are working to identify those um, community banks in our region so that we can start helping the entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs with capital. And that's, you know, just as a regular citizen, that's not something I had any clue about, about small banks and that the advantages of going to a small bank to apply for a loan. I would have thought the big banks have the big money. And so that's where you go, right? But it yeah. actually works against you. So I just thought that was fascinating. Pro tip, yeah. folks, um, don't overlook those, <laughs> exactly. small, those small banks that might only have one office in, in your town. That might be the place that's going to take a chance on you. You know, and right. I would think- And that's it, their mission. Mm-hmm. Speaking of mission, I thought it was interesting. You were talking about serving um, underserved communities, and that's maybe why your project is so dear to my heart, because at KOPN, that's our mission, is to serve underrepresented Mm -hmm. and underserved communities through the radio. So this was such a perfect fit for our show. That's why I was so excited to have you on. (laughs) Those banks, man, if you don't have the money, you can't get started. Um, And And not only banks, but those investors that are investing in all of these startups, the accelerators that are happening that are being funded by corporate corporations, Mm -hmm. you know, traditionally those corporations have always given to the same universities. And so to start expanding into this space with a dedicated focus on a particular group of underrepresented folks are really, I just am excited about the possibilities because we're in a space after everything we've been through over the last couple of years where people realize how inequitable this has been and people are now reaching out and connecting with us and supporting us. It is well overdue, but I'm just glad it's happening and that the time is now. Isn't it, isn't it weird that it's almost a backhanded blessing, COVID, in some ways? I mean, I just am so inspired by all the different workforces that are taking this time to unionize, all the yeah. workers that are taking a stand and fighting for a living wage. And now we realize mm-hmm. we have to listen. Like, like business owners yeah. realize you can't just keep ignoring people. It no. does seem like this is maybe your moment. And it seems like investors and banks would be maybe more comfortable stepping out of their comfort zone, knowing that your center for innovation and entrepreneurship is there to support those people. So it's not just one single random person that they've never met. There's this whole 
machinery that's supporting them if they struggle or if they hit, you know, find that there's a tool they don't have in their toolbox, they've got you to come to. So the bank or the investor doesn't have to worry as much about somebody defaulting on a loan or an investment being a bad investment because they've got a whole support system. Yeah, I love that. And legislative agendas are supporting it as well. So now they're actually providing money to banks just for these groups of people. So now it's not just on the banks. It's, you know, it's been set aside for these groups who have traditionally not received these type of funds. So that's a good thing as well. Yeah, that's so wonderful. Uh, Let's see. My next question here. We kind of talked about this, but um, I'll cut this. I'll cut this humbling around out. Why do you think it's important for a historically black college or university like Harris Stowe? Is it the Harris Stowe? No, it's Harris Stowe. Okay. Okay. So it's funny in in the uh, HBCU community, all of us say the like we're the only HBCUs uh-huh. in the world, but uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's Harris Stowe. Thank okay. You. <laughs> so why do you think it's important for HBCUs like yours to advance and support entrepreneurship? How does that fit into education? So I love that it really is education. That it's it's all about education because most of the time these entrepreneurs haven't. Most entrepreneurs don't like school or haven't been to school or have dropped out of school. And of course, there are entrepreneurs who go to school as well. But oftentimes, they don't have that traditional education to learn some of the business and basic skills needed to be successful. So um, it is an educational endeavor. And I think it's the perfect place to partner on a project such as this. But like I talked about, you know, they can't get beyond startup. And I think that's why is because what do I do next as a business owner? So I worked for the Federal Reserve Bank. I worked for FDIC. And then I wanted to go and work out in industry and went to work for a distributor. And at that time, they were downsizing. I made it three years, but after that, I got downsized out. And fortunately, I had started my own business, creating websites and doing marketing and technology training. It sustained me for three years. I think back to that time and think if I had the kind of resources that we were providing through the CIE and Mecca. I could probably be a huge business. I didn't have that support back then. So that's really that's really why it's important for us to provide these resources because most people just don't know where to go or who to talk to. Harris Stowe is, uh, is the only HBCU in St. Louis. It's where Black people go to school to learn because they're comfortable. It feels like home. There are a lot of traditions there. It's a safe space. So to be bringing entrepreneurship to a space that's already safe and safe and trusted, um, we have no doubt that the place will be packed. It'll be a hub of just great activity, connections and things like that. So that's why I think it's such a great opportunity for us. Yeah, especially just that water cooler effect. If you've got the traditional students and you've got the entrepreneurs that maybe maybe didn't even finish high school because it just wasn't a good fit for them. Maybe they got a GED or something instead. And getting them together and having that um, cross-pollinization of those different types of people, yeah, that could really be wonderful. Yeah, with with business owners who have been in business for a long time versus those who are walking in the door and being able to share some of those experiences with each other to help even each other. So that peer-to-peer learning as well. Yeah, yeah. What what kind of partners have uh, been involved in getting this going? So we've had great support, like I mentioned. Most recently, PNC has provided $450,000 over three years for the for Mecca. And their goal was to make sure we're supporting low to moderate income minorities. 
So um, I love that we have the same goals and we were able to come to the table and really be careful about making sure that we serve the people who really need it the most. And PNC was very interested in um, economic empowerment. So um, PNC was great. Wells Fargo has supported us. We also have a finance education lab, but they supported Mecca for the past year. Nestle Perina uh, just gave us $40,000 for entrepreneurship and Kaufman Foundation um, gave us 300,000. So yeah, Mm -hmm. what I love about um, our partners is they're giving us opportunities to say this money can be set aside for scholarships for scholars. This money should be set aside for community events and education. And this money should be set aside for these different things that we really want, want to make sure that the community and our scholars receive. Thank goodness. It seems like COVID, I hate to even say this out loud, I'll jinx it, but it seems to be settling down. And maybe I'm starting to feel like businesses are going to start being more open and we're going to be able to start gathering a little more because I still am yeah. kind of leery of it, but let's hope. No, I'm ready. Summer. I am. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's why when we uh, talk mm-hmm. about the CIE opening in August, August. I'm hopeful that it's a lot in, in person opening event and that we're able to actually hang out in those spaces. I think we're getting yeah. to a better place, but mm-hmm. I'm just excited about the hustle and bustle of it all when we get back Mm -hmm. to it. I know things will never be exactly the same, but um, I think some people are ready to come back together again. Oh yeah. So tell me about your next steps. There's an accelerator pilot coming up. Yes, we are. We started the accelerator pilot this Tuesday. So we just started this week. I know. And what's so excited about the uh, accelerator pilot is that we're our first accelerator. So the accelerator pilot is a eight week program, which is taking individuals through a program to learn all aspects of business. Also all about themselves, how agile they are, um, where the strengths and weaknesses are. And so um, it's just a great, well-rounded program where at this point, entrepreneurs will say, yeah, I'm ready to go. Or Maybe I'm not where I thought I was, or maybe I want to do something different, but it's really an intense eight-week program. It's a couple of hours a week with a facilitator, and um, what I'm most excited about is our first group is a group of justice-involved individuals, and justice-involved, and and exactly, most people say, what's that? I don't know that phrase. Um, I know it's a newer phrase. It used to be ex-offenders. So people I kind of wondered if that wasn't it was. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I really like it. The, the I positive. think that's so great. I yeah. do too. I do too. And we have our first cohort of 11 individuals going through this accelerator pilot with 10 of them being justice involved. And they are so very excited about the future. So that's, that's uh, yeah, that's on the horizon. And it just... Well, the passion grows around all the different groups that we have, but mm-hmm. we know that this group of folks has a, a group of skills that a lot of us don't have. So um, to be able to put them to use in, in a, a productive way, is just exciting. Well, and talk about, again, like even just a subset of a population. I mean, black and brown people are underserved and then people who have any kind of a history of being justice involved. I, I don't know. It almost sounds too nice for what it is, frankly, because I, you know, <laughs> I, know. I, I have some pretty negative feelings about our rates of incarceration, et cetera. And I'm sure you do too. Oh but, yes. oh, we won't even go there. But <laughs> there's a population, especially that has so many extra barriers trying to have a traditional career. I mean, can't even apply or gets screened out just for before they even get to the interview. So there's a population that really does have probably some really valuable skills and entrepreneurship might be the 
best way for them to succeed because then they just circumvent that whole system that's going to try to block them out or keep them down or maybe judge them negatively. I love that's it. That's right. They get to build and determine their own pathway. They Amen. get to build something of their own. That's I right. It. That's I right. love it. And you said they're all male. Did you say it's all men in this first one? I don't or did think I, it's did I all not men. Hear that? Okay. No, I, just okay. all, uh, it's 10 justice involved. One it's extra justice. person said, can and, I join this? And too, you said, so. sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Great. Cool. Okay. So when we set up this interview, I asked you to bring me some songs. And so we're going to take a musical break. And the first one, and I, this was not such a surprising one, I, I, honestly, but one of them you picked is just a classic. It's Aretha Franklin's R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Is there anything you want to say to set this up before we listen to it? You know, I just, whenever I hear it, I don't even care what most of the words are, except I just think about a strong Black woman who unapologetically demands respect. And that's okay. She has something that people want. And um, I just think about her and I say, you know, we have knowledge, we have skills, we have creativity. These are things that people want and we should be respected because of that. So that's, that's what I think about that. Song. Awesome. Well, well, let's take this musical break and take a break. The two of us and catch our breath and we'll be right back here on Women's Issues, Women's Voices with Stacey Gee Hollins. And we're back with Women's Issues, Women's Voices here on KOPN Columbia 89.5 FM. Our, our guest tonight is... Our guest tonight is Dr. Stacy Gee Hollins, and she works uh, at Harris Stowe University in St. Louis, a historically black um, college and university. And we've been talking about some really exciting developments there at Harris Stowe with this new business incubator that, that they're developing. So that's what we talked about in the first half hour. If you missed it and are thinking, darn, I missed it, you know, all of our shows are archived on our website, KOPN.org. So later tonight, you could go back and uh, start from the beginning if you want to hear that conversation. But Dr. Hollins, uh, let's talk a little bit. Let's back up. So we did a pretty good overview of everything that's going there on campus. Now I'm really more interested in you. And um, let's talk about your background. You mentioned designing websites and how that saved you. But talk to me about your background in technology and in entrepreneurship and how that passed, how you went from that from that corporate career to that three years of, of doing uh, the entrepreneur work. And then now you're kind of in the academic world. It's a really interesting trajectory. Yeah. It is. And my whole life is even my education. I was a non-traditional student. So, but in regard to my technology, I'm I always, you know how they were saying the millennials, the millennials started with tech. And I think I was right on that cusp because I, I grew up in that really business minded environment. So I'm still that traditionalist in business, but when it comes to tech, for some reason, I just get it. And I think it's because of this. When I was 13, my grandmother ran a nursing home. She was the director of a nursing home and maybe her secretary. So back then I started typing on a computer at 13 and then computers started coming out. So I was, of course, one of the first people saying, Grandma, they have computers and I want to try to do these things. And so I started using the computer then and I fell in love with technology. When I started at FDIC, I worked for bank examiners who went out to examine banks and they worked with all these big dollar amounts and all this important information and confidential information, but they had to determine if banks were at risk with all of these spreadsheets. Well, they would come back and say, I got all the information, but I don't know how to put it in this spreadsheet. And so back then it was Lotus one, two, three, if anybody oh, remembers yeah. it. <laughs> I remember it. So I would just play with it and figure it out. And so at that point, everybody ended up at my desk. Um, when they had a computer question. And so that's how I fell in love with technology. Oh. And when I went to the Federal Reserve Bank, 
Um, I went as an administrative assistant and was promoted within six months because they had a new purchasing system that nobody knew how to use. And so you could of course I dug out. into the purchasing mm -hmm. system and figured Smart. it out. Make, yeah, yourself, make so, yourself indispensable. Yeah. That's right. And I wasn't even thinking about that at mm -hmm. that time. You just liked um, it. I just loved it. And I love people. I love people being at my desk and again, the light bulb coming on. Oh my yeah. gosh, she helped me I, figure this out. I hear it again yeah. with them lined up at your desk. It's the service and the teaching and the being the social hub and, and helping people. Yeah, I love it. It is. And mm -hmm. so not the job didn't determine my journey. It was really the skills. So the skills of technology and the people skills have always been a thread through my journey. And it didn't matter where I was. Even when I worked at the distributorship, I sold Herman Miller furniture at a distribution I was a marketing manager. Yeah. And even within that role, I had to work with the drawings and do all of the write-up and the spreadsheet and all of that. So it was still technology-based and people-based. So mm -hmm. after that, when I when I got like I mentioned, when I lost the job and got into helping, um, I took 30 days and I said, what do you want to do with your life? And what and my mom said, just take 30 days and think about what it is that you love to do. Right, I knew I love people and I knew I love technology. She is a smart woman. And it's so funny. Once you get in alignment with what your purpose is and what you really love, those opportunities automatically open up for you. Mm. Because I was at church. I was uh, helping on the soundboard at church. <laughs> and somebody said, you know, I uh, run a GED school and I need somebody to help me teach GED classes. And I ended up being the first, one of the first people to teach GED classes online, on the computer, oh. of course. Wow. Um, and after that is how I ended up at St. Louis Community College. I got hired as a professor there and the rest is history. It's just and was, been a, was most of that online teaching at St. Louis or was it in person? It, it, I did both. I actually came in and after a year I was promoted to um, department chair. And so um, of the information systems department. Wow. So um, I taught and ran the information systems department where we did a lot of cool computer work there. Too. Wow. So we actually did some community support through the program and things mm -hmm. like that too. So it's just always been a thread no matter what, even as the dean. I have no doubt that my knowledge of tech has helped Excel, help the school be better because we're moving to digital, you know, digital systems and going online. All of that is, yeah. is tech, you know, and it's people. So it's not never been the jobs. It's always been the skills that have been a thread. Do you still get to teach at all? I do not teach. Oh, I do teach a class um, for WashU, oh, but it's a diversity. Yeah, it's a diversity and equity class, but it's cool because I do have them meeting groups to discuss diversity issues and they have to record them on Zoom and submit them. And so I even use technology in those, in those yeah. situations. Because yeah. I, I could just see you, I could imagine that you might be miss it if you were just doing administrative work and I, I know a lot Absolutely. of administrators who will just keep their toe in they just have one class a semester or every other semester they like they yes. just really love teaching and they just hate to give it up completely so just keeping one little yeah. toe that's it that. that's it kind of gives them that little <laughs> charge that they that they it know and it's really about interacting that's it. You just said it. That's what I was going to say. It's really about being connected to the scholars. Well, fortunately, Harrisville is such a small campus that students show up at my office. They're, they're like, I want to <laughs> chat with you about something. Well, that's great. So I get the key. I still get to stay, stay connected because it is such a small university. So you said that you're a hard worker earlier on. You said you work hard and you play hard. What 
so I'm sure that's true, true in this position, especially with everything that's going on and this new center for innovation that you're opening. What makes it worth it for you? Why put all those hours in? Because I'm sure you probably put in more than 40 hours a week. It's not a job where you just put in your 40 hours and then go home and don't think about it at all. So what makes that it worth it for you? It's not that job. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually working with the scholars uh, makes it makes it all worth it. And also, you know, just feeling like I'm having some type of impact on making our city a better place. I am St. Louis, born and raised. Um, I'm a, I'm a STL girl. So I just know my many experiences in this city. Um, and I know the experiences of many people in my community and the black and brown communities experiences. And so the passion for making sure that some of the people don't have to go through the pitfalls that I've gone through, some of the negative experiences that I've had, and just making sure they're supported in a way that I never was. And I have had many shoulders to stand on, much help, much support, but I just want to make sure that the community and scholars have the same. Yeah, and I know you're probably super busy at work, but I bet there's also other roles that you play in the community. What are some of the other ways that you're plugged into your community and serving um, all those people? So I serve on boards. I just joined I, I on the STL board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. um, I just joined on the Tech STL board, which is, of course, um, after my hardest tech. But it's really about making sure that under-resourced folks have access to digital technology. So I'm helping to close that digital divide. So I only serve on boards that I am really passionate about for that reason, because it's almost like the play part of work for me. What is it that I really enjoy doing and it doesn't feel like work? So that's why I joined on with uh, Tech STL. I've served on Girls in the Know um, board for, I don't know if you've heard of Girls in the Know. Tell me about that. What what is that? Girls in the Know empowers girls. And it's they uh, go into fifth grade classrooms after school and talk body image and safety and all the things that we never talked about growing up, mm-hmm. but that I hear these conversations saying, I wish I had had that information when I was growing up. I love that. Um, here, here in town, yeah. we've got a similar girls on the run, which is the same thing plus running. And we've also That's got right. y'all, y'all rock, which is being in a rock band plus all that stuff. So you kind of have that kind of have that like the key to get in which is the running or the music or whatever but then what it really is it's exactly what you just said it's about teaching empowerment and healthy relationships and all that stuff yeah you got it you got it so that's near and dear to my heart I've served on many boards and taught many classes of those things yeah love it and that's what you can dig into because you yeah you can relate to it you've been there Mm -hmm. so Prior to that, I served on Boys and Girls, uh, Matthews Dickey's Boys and Girls Club. So I'm always serving on a board that I know is making an impact in our community. So, um, but it doesn't feel like work because it is a a large group of people coming together behind the same goal. How have your lived experiences contributed to the work that you do? You know, I really believe that um, the experiences I've shared with you coming up as a business owner, trying to figure it out on my own 
coming up in an under-resourced area. I was born in Kenlock, which is what is known in St. Louis as one as the first Black city. And we lived um, in the projects in Kenlock. And, but it was one of the best of times because we were all family. We all knew each other. We all supported each other. We all looked out for each other. But at the same time, we were all under-resourced as well. So um, I think my lived experience is that of many that we serve. We serve 87% um, Pell Grant students, which means they're also the same group of folks that I was growing up. Fortunately, um, my mom always made sure I had everything I needed, but there are so many that we serve that don't have that. And so I know that my lived experience um, gives me the passion that I have behind the work that I do. Yeah, because you know how transformative it can be to just have that one program or that one person or that one support that's missing and you put that under that person and they just fly from that one little help up that they just needed that one little, couldn't get the funding for their business, right? They're part of that, not part of that 4% or whatever that one little stumbling block is. Yeah. And you you give them that. And that's what's exciting about, yeah, with the partnership Mm -hmm. that that money is, you know, while they do have some prescribed programming there's money there for that that senior that's trying to graduate and is $1,000 short from getting their robe, cap, and gown or mm-hmm. whatever that situation might be. Or yeah. that they're dealing with some things at home, but here we are at the HBCU that they feel at home, that they've made these connections, that they feel like an aunt or a mom is there and they can talk to them. And then we rally in and put all the resources around them. So um, it's easy. It's easy. Um, it's hard work. Um, but it, 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 the reason why it makes it easy to keep pushing, you know, at the end of the day, I go home like, Whew, what a day. (laughs) And it's different every day. I'm sure every day is different different from the one before. Mm -hmm. That's right. But Mm -hmm. I get up in the morning again, so excited about, um, how we'll impact the community again. Yeah. So for people who are listening at home, I wonder if, you have um, something concrete that you could suggest to them. If they're listening and thinking, yeah, like all of this sounds great. Is there a specific class or a book or some other kind of activity or just words of advice that you would give for someone who's maybe stuck in their career at a stuck point looking for a change or is hearing about your, your Center for Innovation and is thinking this sounds like something that might help me? What's, what's a first easy step? Maybe not, maybe not be easy, just a first step someone could take on their own. I would say just reach out to us. We have a website, www.hssu.edu slash either CIE or slash Mecca, whichever one. Yeah. Um, both of them, you can hit a button that says contact us and it will send us an email. And you just, just say need help. We need help with business or need help with Uh, something, please reach out and someone will reach out. My advice is, and when I talked about the Mecca Accelerator, starting off in week one with that agilities, we're doing a survey um, by the DeBruce Foundation um, that they actually can find out about their strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And my uh, advice to people is always find out what you're strong in and what you're weak in. You can't always develop all those things you're weak in. But what you can do is strengthen your strengths and really find out what it is that you're interested in and start studying that. Of course, we want you at Hairstyle to come take classes. But if you can't do that, let us help you get steered towards some resources that you can use 
to start educating yourself because education is not only in the classroom. It'll be in the center. It'll be from people you encounter, but you have to first identify what the need is. So oftentimes we say, you know, I want to do something, but I don't know where to go, you know, or, or where to start. I always say start with self, you know, just like we talked about that 30 day Mm -hmm. uh, retreat I took with myself. What is it that I really want to do? Okay, well, how do I align that with my goals? And so start with yourself on what it is you really want to do to make yourself happy and enjoy the work because you we've all heard it. It's very cliche that if you do what you love, it's not work. It's work. Let me be clear. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a heavy lift because you're so very passionate about it. So yeah. start by reaching out saying, you know, I'm interested in the story in this business. Our goal really is to find the gaps. So even as we open the center and we have people walking around saying, you know, I'm working on this and they're connecting with somebody else that says I'm working on this. And uh, well, what, what do we need that we see the gaps? Well, we're both working on this, but what we both haven't figured out is how to create a website or that was the example I was thinking of. You read my mind. Yeah, I was going to exactly. offer that. Yeah, website. Maybe that's the piece <laughs> that you don't know and you need help. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That we're saying, okay, we need to have a resources page and employ black and brown entrepreneurs in that space to provide the, the uh, service to the black and brown entrepreneurs, because we got to get into some generational wealth in the community so that one of the data points is that if black businesses were starting at the rate of white businesses, it would be 8,000 more jobs, more businesses, and 66,000 more jobs. That means that that makes the region better. So if we can get the black and brown community and women businesses excelling at a much better rate, it's better for the entire region, not just for that community. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. This has been just such an interesting hour. I'm just trying to follow up and make sure I didn't leave any questions unasked. Yeah, it's you good. made it, it so very nice easy. To, yeah. oh, it was so nice to meet you. So again, tonight we've been talking with Dr. Stacey D. Hollins. She's a professor and the Dean of Anheuser's <laughs> School of Business at Harris Stowe University. Um, they're if you missed the beginning of the hour, they're opening a new business innovator. They've got a cohort they're putting together that's going to jumpstart some folk off on their careers as entrepreneurs. It's a super inspiring time. Sure do appreciate you talking with us tonight. People at home who are interested could probably just Google Harris Stowe Business Incubator and they'll probably find you or Google your name, Stacey Gee Hollins. And I'm sure that would yeah. lead them right, right to some of those good websites and those resources where they can connect mm-hmm. with you. But thank you so much for your time. Corey and Victoria are going to be on air next week for our listeners with the next installment of the Goddess Hour. But thank you everyone for being with us for another uh, episode of Women's Issues, Women's Voices here on KOPN 89.5 FM.